Well, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Luke, or the Gospel of St. Luke, as it's called. We're going to be finishing, believe it or not, chapter 23 this morning, Lord willing. Uh, we've gone relatively slow through this chapter because of, a, again, all the important ramifications that's been taking place. Uh, the, the capture of our Lord Jesus and being turned over to these men to, and, 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 uh, to be taken and finally crucified, and we have seen that. And today, we look at verses 46 down through verse 56, so we're going to look at these 11 verses here, uh, hopefully finishing it up, and then next week we'll pick up then with the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Let's go ahead and read uh, verses 46 through 56, and then we'll back up and look at this and then give some observations and applications from it. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Armamathia, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after, and beheld the sepulcher, and how his body was laid. And they returned, and prepared spices and ointments, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Well, we see, uh, we have seen anyway, the last week we saw that he was hanging upon the cross, and even though of his great agony and his sorrow and uh, the even the, what the Father was putting upon him at that point for the suffering of his people. We see, though, that he does remember the thief on the cross who does repent. And we see that Christ turns to him and he says, Verily I say unto thee, in verse 43, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And in the beginning he says, About the sixth hour there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And at that time the earth was darkened and it was that point we do believe or at least it seems to be the truth that that was when the father himself began to pour the lord's jesus soul out as it were as an offering for sin and that's why we read in verse 46 there he says and when jesus had cried with a loud voice i don't think what he's saying there is what he's about to say he cries with a loud voice though he most probably did that as well but what he cried out is found actually in verse uh, 24 or chapter 24 of this let's see Am I in the right spot? 56. No, I'm thinking of something. Oh, it's Matthew 26. Excuse me. No wonder I was looking at the wrong part of my notes. Matthew 26 and verse... Uh, actually, 27 and verse 46. Here we see what he cried out. If I can get to it. 46 of verse 27. And he, about the ninth hour, and that would be towards the end of his suffering, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
So that's what he cried out with a loud voice there in verse 46. Now, of course, again, we don't believe that uh, when he cried out the second portion of what he said there in verse 46, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, that he was any less out of control of what he was doing. But actually, what this was doing was fulfilling uh, the scripture. And again, you think about this, the Lord Jesus had all these things pressing upon him at this very moment. But at the same time, though, prophecy itself is being worked out. Notice in the passage, verse 46 and 7, it says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's actually taken from Psalm 31 in reference to the psalmist here. But of course, he was looking forward to this very act here in spirit in uh, verse 5 of Psalm 31, it says, Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. And so, not only is he fulfilling Scripture here, but all through this passage we've seen the fulfillment of the Word of God in relationship to Jesus Christ. And that's why we can read in the next chapter, chapter 24, verse 25, it says, Then he said, this is Jesus speaking here unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what we see being wrought out here is nothing less than the, the word of God, that is the Old Testament, being fulfilled in the life and in the death of Jesus Christ. Also, you notice here it says here that he gave up the ghost. Uh, it shows us here that men themselves did not kill the Lord Jesus, but the Lord himself told us that he would lay down his life and that he would take it up again. John chapter 10 so in this way, his death is none like, is unlike any others. We, uh, when we give up the ghost, this is because we willingly do so. But when Jesus did, he did. Notice in John 10 and verse 17. He says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So while he's hanging there upon the cross and he's about ready to expire, we need to recognize here, again, this is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is hanging here on the cross. And as, as the God-man, he then freely, as it were, gives up his life for his people. Now, it's true, as we think about this, Sin is the cause of this. But again, you've got to remember, he took under, in the obligations of the covenant that he was going to come and to bear the sins of his people. Thus, he's putting himself freely under this condition of that death or that sin was going to bring, which, of course, was his death. But again, he gave up the ghost. He laid down his life and the father told him that he had power to take it up again. Then verse 40 it says here now, 47, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Well, of course, we knowing 
this. We know he was a righteous man. But at this point in the history here in the narrative, the centurion, this Roman soldier, stops and he sees what has taken place and he recognizes here that this was a righteous man. He admits that Jesus, who hung upon the cross, was someone who was not guilty, but in reality he was a just man. Now perhaps he's echoing here what the thief had said back there in verse 41. Remember what he said? He said, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. He also may have been one of the soldiers who stood, you remember, and mocked him back in the uh, in this, uh, Pilate's household where he was taken and mistreated. All of these things obviously bearing upon the thoughts of this man, this centurion. And at this point now, as he sees what has taken place, he beholds these things, the signs, his death, the uh, mocking and the earthquake and all of that. And he claims that truly this was a righteous man. And then verse 48, it says, And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and Return. So we see now a consolidation of the folks who had been standing there watching all of this. And suddenly they're pretty sober about what has taken place. Remember, they had been mocking him. They were the ones saying, you know, if he be Christ, let him come down from the cross. If he be of God, if he's the son of God, all these things, certainly then he can save himself. Well, when they beheld the death scene and what took place after all that, again, these the sayings that they heard, this death, just as the uh, Roman soldier, the mockings, and then the earthquake itself, this caused the people, as it were, to stand still and to take note. And you notice here, it says there, they beat their chests and returned. Now, we may ask why or what came over them. Again, is it conviction? Is it their conscience? Again, he died in such a way that no other did. Just the way he handled himself upon the cross would have been far different than what they would have been expecting. And so we see here that they, at least in some form, some fashion here, recognize perhaps that there is something different here. So either they are convicted or their conscience itself is bothering bothering them or it could be that it is suggested that this again is one of the playing out of the death scenes of that day, just as they had mourners who would go along and uh, mourn with those who were were about to die. Well, uh, as someone has died now, they begin to mourn and put on the show as well. The text doesn't tell us. There's just no way to know that for sure. It's either out of conviction or conscience or the matter. This is just some of their playing of the dead death scene that uh, they do over and over and over again in that type of a climate. And then notice verse 49, And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. Now notice there's a difference between this crowd and the crowd who beats their breasts and so forth. And we see it's his acquaintance, that is those whom he was familiar with. Also the women, this would be different than the women that were mentioned back in verse, beginning in verse 27 who were going along as mourners, you remember, which bewailed and lamented him there in verse 27. You remember he turns to them in verse 28, and he says, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. There he's pronouncing judgment upon them, the warning that in just a matter of uh, 40 years, they 
that city is going to be destroyed for their rejection of the Messiah. This probably is not the same people, at least as far as the women are concerned. These are the women, most likely, who are the ones who were ministering to him along the way. So, and it's also his mother, you remember, is there. Uh, even from the cross, one of the sayings from the cross was that John was to take care of his mother. And then in verse 50 through 53, we see his burial. 50 to 53. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down, wrapped it in a linen, and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, where never man before was laid. So we see here uh, the importance of him being burial, or the fact of it. Uh, Joseph now openly uh, declaring his uh, confession of Christ. You remember, it says actually in verse 50 that he was a good man and that he was just. In verse 51, we see that he waited for the kingdom of God. We see something of the character of this man. But if you notice back in John's account, or over in John's account, it said also that he was a disciple, but he was so secretly. He was privately. In other words, he didn't boldly confess Christ. And the reason for that is because, he, it says there in the text, because he feared the Jews. But comes now, he has thrown off his fear, as it were, and he boldly goes in unto Pilate, and he desires, notice there, he begs the body of the Lord Jesus. Also, it's noted here among about him was that he was the man who stood in that council back in chapter 22 and refused to condemn Christ. So this isn't the first time then he begins to come out, as it were, of his shell and to boldly proclaim Christ. We see even back in chapter 22 that he would say no to his condemnation. He recognized that Jesus Christ was the righteous one. He recognized as well that the Jews were obviously lying and and uh, convincing others of their lies in regards to these things. But now, though... We see him even more boldly professing his faith in Christ. All we can say to that is, well, he was bold when it was necessary. It's true, he might have been a, quote, closet Christian for a moment, for a time, for a period. And yet the grace of God obviously was active in his life to where now he comes and he boldly proclaims Christ. So we can say he was bold when, he was, when it was necessary. Then notice what happens in verse 53. Well, he has such concern here that he places him in his own tomb. Here again, we see something of the confession, the bold confession of this man. Uh, he would take him and place him in his own tomb, which would have been a noted thing among the Jews. This, again, was something he had purchased ahead of time. It had been hewn out or, uh, we would say, dug out of the side of the mountain or a rock. And thus, he takes him and he places after the what he does to him, he places him there in his own tomb. Notice that this too is a fulfillment of Scripture. In Isaiah 53, again, that passage we've looked at quite a bit in these, uh, these two chapters, and especially uh, because they do 
deals specifically with the crucifixion. This is Jehovah's servant, uh, Jesus himself, Jehovah Jesus, as we would say, uh, the Lord God, who it is prophesying of. And in verse 9, he says that he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 9, there is the fulfillment of that particular prophecy. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Joseph obviously was a man of means. Again, showing even here with the the prepaid burial ground, as we would say today, in reference to that. And then notice verse 54 through 56. We see that the Sabbath draws nigh, which means it wasn't yet, but it's coming on. And then we see in regards to this. So we see that he's buried. And that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. As I said there beginning in verse 54, the Sabbath draws nigh. It means it's not yet the Sabbath day, as that evening would be, well, we call six o'clock in the evening, that was drawing on, but it wasn't time just yet. They had taken him already and buried him, or were getting ready to bury him, or put him in the tomb. And these women, as we see in verse 55, they came and they follow after the, the burial detail, and they take the Lord Jesus, as we know earlier, and they put him in the sepulcher. And there we see the ladies noting this. Because then in their minds and in their heart, they're going to come and they're going to anoint the Lord Jesus. So they see where he's been laid. And then they go back. You notice in verse 56, they return and prepare spices anointment. So they get the stuff ready to uh, embalm him or however they did it in that day to uh, lay these spices upon him and these ointments. So these ladies are ready here to do the last service that they can upon the Lord Jesus. But even this does not stop them from doing what? Obeying the fourth commandment. Notice that. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day. They didn't take the spices and ointments and break the... and disregard the Sabbath and go do the burial and of the... And the Things that we're going to do to the Lord, but they rested the Sabbath. And you remember, they go the next day, and that's when they're getting ready to do it. And of course, we'll see all this next week. Then he is gloriously risen from the dead. So they come back, though. They're preparing. They're, the Sabbath does come, and so they rest the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So they don't anoint the body as yet, for they wanted to observe the law of God. So the fourth commandment, they, as is what he's talking about there, according to the commandment. So. We see here that they do rest and they do take their Sabbath. Well, in closing on all this, what do we see from here? What are some things that we'll, we need to note this morning in these 11 verses that we looked at? First of all, I want us to notice again, again and again and again, as we've seen this, the carefulness of how the Holy Spirit shows us and records for us how that our Lord Jesus fulfilled the Scriptures. Now, we may not think that is such a big deal today because, well, we got the whole Word of God and, you know, we're looking back over 2,000 years worth of history in regards to the truth of what we know regarding the Lord. But in that first century and in the early church, this was a very important matter. 
that the one who claimed to be the Messiah, the claim to be the Son of God, the one who was to be the fulfillment of Scripture, that this really was He. And so, one as we showed you last week, one of the things that Paul did is he would go through his uh, preaching labors there uh, throughout the known world of that day. He reasoned with them out of the Scriptures that Jesus was the Son of God. In other words, he doesn't take necessarily what we would think as New Covenant truth to pull this out, but he takes Old Covenant truth, the Old Testament, and he's very careful about showing them that he truly fulfilled all that was necessary for him to be the Messiah. So this was proof. This was proof to the early church, to the Jews and to the Gentiles, that he was the Christ of the Scriptures. And brethren, it's still true. Even though 2,000 years later, and we have more revelation than they have, as it is a completed Bible now, it is still the truth. He is the Messiah. And it's still to that same one that Paul preached, that Peter preached, that Luke here writes about, that we point every sinner to even this morning. He is the Messiah. He is the sin-bearer. He is the one who took our sins upon Him. He is the one that Scripture speaks about and he needs to be believed upon and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God secondly um, obvious at least to me and I hope anyone who believes the Bible he did die notice back up in verse uh, 46 and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. That's a phrase meaning there, he died. And again, there were all these false theories that's been believed since this has happened. And they're still even believed today that our Lord did not die. And these new pieces of... Uh, they're not new because we've all... Uh, the church has had them, or the people have had them. These writings that are being taken today, why aren't they in the Bible? The Gospel of Thomas and such nonsense as that, and the, uh, the Shepherd of Hermes, all that. If you read that stuff, it's a bunch of... It's like two different things, like different night and day, reading what the Scripture says, and then reading some of these false writings that say what really took place against the Lord Jesus. And, of course, they say that he didn't die. There was the swoon theory that he just kind of passed out and that sort of thing. My friend, he really did die. This is no false testimony that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and others of the Scriptures give forth. The Scriptures do teach, and he did actually, literally die. He died the death of a sinner. Someone who was condemned. Now, he was righteous, but again, he was imputed uh, with our sins and thus paid the price, which was death itself. And brethren, why this is such a big deal, and why we ought to be arguing against these heretics who come up today and tell us this sort of stuff, is that the gospel truth itself is at stake if Jesus Christ did not die. If he really didn't die, then he really didn't raise from the dead. It just you kind of put those two things together, don't you? And so it's a false gospel. That's being preached today to tell us and to teach that he really did not die. The fact of the matter is, he did. In fact, death had hold upon him for three days 
and three nines. That was the power of what sin did to him. It caused him to be dead three days and three nights. And we'll get into that if we ever get into the book of Acts to preach. But again, let me assure you that the stuff you hear today and all of that, um, you know, there's a theory that he really didn't die. He married Mary Magdalene and they went off and had other kids. It's just nonsense. How, why would you believe that when you got this? I mean, you'd believe one over the other. So it's just, it's just silliness. But again, that's the tool of Satan, isn't it? To work such a way. And then thirdly, what we see here is the, in this narrative is not the theology behind the death of Christ. We get that in Paul's writings and in Peter's writings. Uh, you know, so we're not seeing a bunch of theological truths, doctrines, that are being brought forth here. We're just seeing really a simple narrative of what took place. But in saying all of that, even this, though, is unto salvation. This is what is necessary in order uh, to believe, in order to be saved. Look in John 20. And this is John's summation of the testimony. He says in verse 30 of John 20, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, that is in the Gospel of John, but these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. That was true before Paul begins to do all of the stuff that he did and tells us all the truths that he did. Though, again, we're not saying anything that Paul said was wrong, untrue, or uh, not necessary. But I'm telling you here that the narratives of the Son of God perishing for His people is salvation. And so we need to know that and we need to believe that. The fourth thing we can note from this is that He was not just a man who died here, but He was the God-man. And a great mystery that it is, it is nonetheless the truth. It is the saving truth. Great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh, that He came, that He lived, that He died in the place of sinners, and yes, He was buried, and that He rose again the third day. That is saving truth according to the Scripture. And then the fifth thing I want us to notice is notice here the observance of the Sabbath. Even in such circumstances as this, these ladies honored the fourth commandment. What does that give us an excuse? Not to keep the Sabbath. To disregard the law of God. Where do we get off, brethren? To disregard the teaching of the law of God upon our hearts and lives. Remember, Paul said, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. If that's, that's, the, that's the heart of every true Christian. They delight in the law of God. Not just portions and pieces of it, but the law of God. The whole thing. And thus, we see these ladies doing that very thing. Even in the circumstances that they're in, they obeyed the fourth commandment. We do not have excuses, do we? I'm not saying there aren't necessities upon the Sabbath, the works of mercy, works of necessity and such as that. But brethren, if those things are not laid upon us by God's providence, 
then it is still ours to obey the fourth commandment. We are to work six and we are to rest one. And then notice the lastly here. Uh, we notice in our chapter, uh, this section we read here, is the burial of our Lord. And as we showed last week, that is no unimportant aspect of the gospel. Remember what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15? We read that, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. So, the burial aspect is just as important as far as the totality of this as any other parts and necessities of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember, it was part of the fulfillment of of Scripture. This was another truth that they could look back to or they could look to and notice, hey, he, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 verse 9 that he was going to make his grave with the wicked and then sure enough, that's exactly what he did. This is the Messiah because he follows even down to the very burial the prophecies in regards to himself. So again, the reason why it is so important is because it is a fulfillment of Scripture. And there are other things. The fact that you remember um, it is in the far country that the goat went and took the imputed sins that were laid upon him there in the law. When Jesus died and was buried, that's where our sins went, so to speak. They went to the grave with him. And there they stayed when he gloriously was raised from the dead.